CEE Central Europe Explained An IDM podcast series powered by Erste Group Episode 49 Representation, Inclusion and Intersectionality in CEE What comes first to your mind when you hear about women's rights and gender equality and equity in Central and Eastern Europe? What associations do you have? This is undeniably a broad and complex topic, and in this podcast episode, we'll explore only some aspects. This episode is divided into two parts. In the first one, we'll briefly discuss gender equality in CE, focusing on women in two different environments, media and startups. Moving on to the second part, we'll delve into the lives of perhaps the most marginalized women in CE. We'll explore why some women continue to face multiple forms of discrimination to this day and how we can change it. Can you guess who these women are? It is crucial to bear in mind that CE is a region of diversity and not a single homogeneous entity. While we'll primarily focus on the Visegrad group countries, Czechia, Slovakia, Hungary and Poland, we'll also draw examples from beyond, for example from Austria. I'll be your guide throughout this episode. My name is Malvina Talik, and I'm a research associate at the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. So, let's begin. My first guest is Vladislava Gubalova, senior fellow at the Center for Global Europe, part of the Globsec Policy Institute. Vladislava is also one of the initiators of CEHER initiative which promotes gender equality and female experts from CE region and beyond. We started our discussion by talking about whether gender equality is regressing in the CE. Vladi believes that it depends. Well, certainly uh, we can see that um, in regional Central Europe, um, women continue to face challenges uh, when it comes to both representation and inclusion. But on the other hand, we can also see that there is a certain willingness, even if it's in silos, working at the moment uh, from um, separate institutions or companies or from the bottom up, there is a willingness to, to really tackle the issues systematically and eventually bring a positive change, be it legislatively or implementing of policies and bettering the perceptions when it comes to uh, gender equality in the region. Okay, let us delve into that deeper and let's start with challenges. Um, what factors do you think are impeding the achievement of gender equality in Central and Eastern Europe? In what sectors, in what areas? It is in multiple sectors and areas, definitely. You know, when we talk about gender equality, for me, it's important to discuss that there is a difference between representation and inclusion. Even we start from university times, women are about equally represented in numbers. Actually, if it's about journalism major, it's usually exceeding. If it's about STEM fields, it's, it's not. Women are less represented. But then the numbers are really exponentially shifting from early career positions to middle and then high executive positions. Vladislava supports her observations with findings from two collaborative reports by Globsec on the current situation of women in media and innovation ecosystems. She also explains why the reports assess these two particular fields. Media, it is an essential opinion shaper. 
for the society, but also for impacting policies. So of course, we want to know who is shaping them and how these people that are shaping our opinions, how are they doing it? And innovation field, really, this holding our future. So again, who is holding our future and how is this being done? When we look at the representation of women in media in um, Central Europe, which is the at the time we examined four countries, the four Visegrad countries, and we looked at women in media as contributors, as authors uh, and co-authors, not in a direction how women are portrayed, which is entirely different uh, and important matter that it should be further discussed. But let's stick with what we looked uh, looked at. And what we saw is that when it comes to representation on share of published articles, Slovakia is an actually perfect parity, about 51%. Uh, are, of the articles are altered or co-authored by women. Uh, Czech Republic and uh, Poland are in similar numbers, a bit lower, but 43-42. Hungary states uh, in our research is an outlier with only 25%. But yet the discrepancy is starting to show up really into uh, when we looked at the topics women were writing on and then their representation in top management positions. So women journalists were really not at parity when writing on the hard topics. So if we talk about uh, economics and, and financial affairs, uh, defense and security, foreign affairs, here we don't see that parity existing. And then definitely they are not abundantly, if at all, in the top management positions and even as editors, which is a very essential position when we talk about media gatekeeper and opinion shapers. So then when we looked at the innovation field and innovation industry, we thought that this should be a very open-minded environment where uh, we would expect this open culture. And here we looked at the Slavkov III format. So here we had kind of a control country, Austria, the Czech Republic and Slovakia. And so what it showed actually is that uh, women continue underrepresented even in that field. And especially if we look, for example, startups which is uh, quite, uh, quite an important part of the innovation ecosystem, a, a very big motor. So while, while in Vienna, there are about 35% startups that are founded or co-founded by women, in the whole Central and Eastern Europe, it's only about 13%, 13 um, not to mention that then if we looked at actually the available capital, the venture capital, only about 1% is given and available for women uh, or we, women-led or co-led startups in, um, in Central and Eastern Europe. So, and further, uh, for shocking value again, uh, in Austria, for example, women are heading about 36% of the company's boards, but none are had by, uh, by women in Slovakia nor the Czech Republic. So we can see the lack of representation. We're also seeing to some extent the lack of inclusion as well. So what lies behind it? What factors hinder women? One very strong challenge is the persistent bullying and harassment, for example. When we talk about media, there is a difference of criticism. If we give a, a further example between how a, a man is criticized for his work and how a woman is criticized for her work, where a man usually receives a letter stating that your argument is flawed, check your facts, this is not a deep uh, article enough, the woman receives a letter stating, you're too blonde, stop writing. So this type of sexist harassment and bullying actually is not occasional, is the norm. 
the current cultural norms and expectations, how women are perceived, hinders then the appreciation to their expertise. It hinders how the is being put together, what kind of policies are uh, present in our countries. So this is a bit of a causality. One leads to the other and then leads to the next. We also noticed that, for example, especially in the media field, uh, there is a concern of insufficient social security benefits being provided. So the working hours are very specific. It's hard to adjust when you are a caretaker, either of, of, of a child or elderly. Um, a lot of times it's about part-time and gig jobs rather than proper labor contracts. So that hinders more, more directly women than, than men. There's also the still existing gender pay gap, but also the lack of women as role models. So this was uh, surprising to an extent, but important hindrance uh, of uh, women's further inclusion, for example. So, so later in their careers, um, once entered, but actually to succeed in their careers. So these are some of the main challenges given the two fields that we looked at. And there is also one more challenge that Vladislava has mentioned, which regards the fact that... How much worth the expertise of a woman is when she sits on the table for with decision makers. Maybe you get to the point that you sit at the table, but are you being heard? Are you being actually included in the decision-making process? And then if you are not being included, then of course your, and your opinion is disregarded, it will be harder to then show for yourself to progress further. Um, so, so this also to an extent hinders that uh, the progress from entry level then to actually move to middle and, and executive especially. She also quotes some concrete examples. We've, we have the stories that, uh, you know, successful woman will come and talk to us and say, you know, I'm the only one sitting at the table and I'm starting to notice I'm never asked the question. Then I start noticing that every all women around that are in the room are in the back and they are, you know, taking notes or they're bringing coffee. And so this also still exists on some level. But are there silver linings? What are the positive developments that we can observe? There are definitely positive developments and we shouldn't be shy to shine on them. And I know from actually your research in Poland that, and, and from what we are doing, that there are databases existing today with uh, women ex experts and women journalists. Those databases are really to amplify the voices of the women, to provide the one-stop shop option that women points of view and expertise can be used in media, in debates, in um, seeking for contributors, in research, and so on. So these are existing already on different levels, and I think that they are important element. I think they are a way to go to be considered the place to go. There is a still um, work to be done that now those data, the, the, the databases exist and they are created how, how we can take the full advantage and potential. But they're also monitoring um, initiatives. For example, in a company's uh, or a media's um, principles that actually is adhered. So these, in my opinion, are important in two ways. In one way, yes, uh, these monitoring initiatives can little bit blame and shame, but I shouldn't say that this should be the primary focus and it's not the primary focus is to gather data because actually data is still missing on many levels and in many fields and industries and sectors and we all know that if you want to make a change being a systematic or legislative or policy implementation type of 
rewriting the rules change without gathering the data, without having that data, it will be impossible. Personal stories are great for storytelling, but no laws most of the time or no uh, systematic changes are done without having the data, the hardcore data. And so I think that is, that is important. Vladislava has mentioned earlier that lack of role models has a negative impact on the careers of young women. But there is a positive tendency that she points out that may help overcome this challenge. There is the lack of role models, but actually what we see, it's a little bit intersectional. So the newer generation, the younger women who have entered uh, their careers and they are moving along and succeeding, they have become bolder. They are bolder. They're also more willing to step up and help their peers. So we see this stepping up process appearing. In media, for example, especially this, this generation gap, there is a difference of perceptions and difference of actions. But also in, in innovative sector, we, we were seeing similar desire by, by women to step up uh, and be role models and understanding the value. And this is in two, two segments. So you're a role model as a, to, to motivate a young woman to enter a career, but then you should be a different type of role model to make sure that that young woman stays into the career path and it doesn't drop off from the career. This is positive, um, definitely. And we noticed that on the negative side that men tend to fund men when it comes to startups, when it comes to creative and innovative uh, investments for this type of work. But because of that, it seems that now women are funding other women. So now we are seeing the presence of angel investors, women angel investors, um, that, that get together, actually, and they create these collectives, and they're becoming more powerful day by day. And you are a driving force behind See Her, and you have already mentioned this initiative a couple of times during our conversation. You've mentioned the reports, and you also briefly mentioned the databases. Uh, for our listeners, could you briefly explain what See Her is, why you have established it? It's a play on words, as you can guess, that do you see her, but it is about CEE uh, region and a little bit beyond, broader. It was established once we saw that uh, there is a significant lack of presence of women experts from our region, being Central and Eastern Europe, but also from Western Balkans and Eastern neighborhood in any sort of impactful debates, even in our region. Europe or going beyond, you know, then almost not existing whatsoever. And also women are really missing from decision-making platforms in different, let's say, European institutions, top jobs, and so on. So really the aim of the initiative as originally was established still stands, and that is to amplify the voices of these experts, these women experts. And eventually through our different activities, we also hope that uh, we could contribute towards uh, this, uh, what I said at the beginning, this positive change of perceptions and policies in our region, because in our understanding, gender equality, diversity and inclusion as a whole, it's a contributor to more prosperity and more security for the region as a whole. So, so that matters to us. So we have, let's call it a multidimensional model. Uh, we have quite a few activities that we are running parallel. And one, yes, indeed, is our See Her database. Uh, I encourage anyone that is listening and is from the region or studies and cares about our region to freely uh, register and create a profile. It's seeher.org. We promote the database to exactly 
exactly those that uh, would should be and would be interested in hearing the expertise from the region and even better if this is a woman expert. Um, so these are uh, debate and, and forums and summit organizers, uh, event organizers, to media as well, to other institutes and institutions interested in collaborative research and so on. But we also, as already uh, I mentioned, and you have been part of collaborative work, we produce research. This is a quite important element to bring more knowledge to uh, what is the state of women in different fields across our region. It's a fantastic initiative and everyone who's interested in it will find uh, a link to see her website uh, in the description of this podcast. Vladi, one more question, final question. Can you observe the impact of see her already on your field, for example? Do you think that more women are being invited to certain panels? Is there a certain awareness that's rising? We want to say yes, and we hope it has actually started to impact we are not the only ones. I wouldn't put a full credit to our initiative. I think those initiatives are important because collectively they are impacting. Because LOPSEC is also an event organizer, we we are much more conscious about how we go about. And it has become a, a natural way of thinking. It's not check the box. Right? This is the impact that I can see on, on our level, at least. I can also see that with some of our activities, when we put different stakeholders together to work on certain improvements, very often they work in these silos. And, and so what they've been appreciating is that when we put events together and, and we sit and talk together, it's, it's more of an ecosystem type of talk. It's more inclusive and it's more impactful because you see the different, the different shortcomings and the different challenges, but also the different best practices. And uh, what I also have noticed through our workshops, especially the impact on uh, younger women in early stage professionals who, um, who have appreciated the fact that they matter already being young and just starting at your work, we still think that you matter as a woman, as a professional. And these networks and these friendships have lasted and they've lasted what is important here on a professional level. And that is the idea that you create these support systems. And we think that in our micro level, we are able to support these support systems and and move on uh, to, to bigger networks. I can observe some impact and I hope that we can observe in the coming years much more visible uh, impact. Yeah, I also like your approach because sometimes change starts with us or with institutions where we work and if we can already change the way they're operating even with approach to gender and diversity then this this change uh, can affect also other institutions and Globsec is of course a big player and important think tank in the region so thank you for leading by example. Vladislava Gubalova shed more light on the challenges that women face in Central and Eastern Europe. She's also already mentioned intersectionality. This term, coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, civil rights advocate and a leading scholar of critical race theory, means that if we combine a person's various social and political identities, we'll discover different modes of discrimination and privilege. Therefore, discrimination against, for example, women of color, cannot be analyzed simply as a combination of misogyny and racism, but as something much more intertwined and complex. Various forms of exclusion can be combined, such as poverty, immigrant background, race, and gender. And this brings me to my second guest, Joanna Talevich, 
co-founder and president of Fundacja w Stronę Dialogu, Foundation Towards Dialogue. She's a researcher, educator, author, and activist. For 20 years, she has been working for the benefit of the Roma community and minority rights. And it is Romani women that we will be talking about. And I would like to start with a question about your opinion. I've read this phrase a couple of times that uh, Romani women are the most excluded uh, women in Europe. How true is that? What is your take on it? Unfortunately, it's true. Uh, we have to remember that uh, Roma community is the biggest minority in Europe. But in the same time, our community is the most marginalized and excluded. Between 12-15 million Roma have been living in European Union countries, and among them, 6 million Romani women who are suffering next to the men because of the poverty, because of um, social exclusion. So, of course, they have the same problems, but additional factor which has a huge impact on the situation of Romani women uh, is also connected with their position inside of the community. Roma community, Roma minority is a quite patriarchal community, uh, so we have to use uh, intersectional approach because uh, Roma women are members of minority groups, but they are also migrants, refugees, you know, so their situation, of course, depends on the context where they have been living. Um, so there are both internal and external factors that you have mentioned that shape the experiences of Romani women, right? Are there any areas where you find that they are more excluded than men? Um, I think that the biggest problem regarding situation of Romani women is connected to their situation in the labor market, in their, their independent status. Because we are minority everywhere, so our status depends on the situation of a country where we have been living. I mean, the social exclusion and the poverty is the main, main reason of exclusion of Romani women. And of course, it has an impact on their situation inside of the community. Because when we have a problem with the poverty, we have a higher problem with the level of education. We have a higher problem uh, with the level of violence against women. Women as well. So this is, you know, like, like a circle of uh, problems. Of course, now we, we observe higher education, higher level of education of Romani women who are, you know, leaders, activists in many European countries, including Poland, for example, where this is my country. Yeah, I was born in Poland. That's why I mentioned about it. Um, so, so we observe that we have a more educated women. We have a more and more women who run their own organization, who are activists, who are professionals you know, and, and who are very, very active. But it's not very often when we can meet women who have a better uh, situation than men. So we have some examples, we have some, you know, role models, and I think it's crucial and important, especially for next generations. But we have to remember that it's a very patriarchal community. Of course, we are very diverse as well. So I would like to strongly emphasize this, but it's very, very difficult for them to be independent. Speaking of role models, I think that you are a perfect role model, right? Uh, maybe you could share also your experiences with us, how you have become an academic and a founder of a president of a foundation for or towards dialogue. 
I was born in, in Poland, as I, as I said before, I was born in Oświęcim, uh, this is my hometown, Oświęcim is a town where Auschwitz-Birkenau was situated, so my, the history of my family is very connected to the history of the Second World War. I'm from mixed family as well, however, my Roma family is very, very conservative. So um, I was born in 1980 and my family, uh, members of my family were, you know, nomads uh, decades uh, ago. So um, it was, uh, and, and it was quite difficult for me to understand why they have to left Poland for Sweden, for example, um, and they have to leave because of uh, of the pogrom against Roma. So my whole family lost their Polish citizenship, including of my father. And uh, they actually, not all of them, my father, for example, and a few more people decided to come back after um, 1989. Um, but then after years, it was very difficult for me to understand why not all of, you know, my relatives uh, understand and uh, admire that I became more and more educated person. I have to say that I was the first educated person in my, in my family and I'm a woman. I'm very lucky um, because I had a huge support of my father. It was crucial. Um, because, as I said before, not all of uh, members of my family understood why I chose that kind of path. And as you said, I started to be academic. I completed my, my PhD. Actually, I was the first person in Poland who, who is uh, Roma and who completed uh, PhD. It was uh, 2011. I'm very proud of this, but in the same time, I'm sorry because uh, we need more and more educated people. Now, of course, we have more after years and uh, all of them are women. So <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I observed the situation and I'm wondering why, I mean, why women have a better position in the educational context than men. But this is, uh, this is how the situation looks like. So I used my position to speak up, to, to, to educate uh, my students, my colleagues, uh, my my family as well, Rama family, about our culture, about our identity. For me, the huge inspiration is uh, gender jihad, is a um, feminist movement of Muslim women. Um, and I, I really observe how they support each other and how they use Quran and their own religion and culture to educate also men from the community, that it's not about the culture, um, their lower position, it's about the domination of men. And uh, when we understand that we, we, we are stronger, when we have uh, both part of our, our community who are active and strong, we, we will have a better situation as a group, as a community, as a society. Thank you very much for those observations. I'm I'm quite intrigued by by many of them, even from, by the fact that it seems that there are many more Roma women who are getting educated than than men. This is a very interesting observation. Um, so you say that one of the main challenges is poverty, stereotypes, cliches in the society. 
education may be one way of breaking the cycle, but what would be other uh, steps that would have to be taken to empower Romani women? What initiatives are out there that you could you, you could highlight and, and say that they brought change and could be emulated elsewhere? I don't think that I can say something new, but I have to maybe repeat this, we have to create more aware and inclusive systems and societies. And if we don't have more inclusive system, you know, inclusive education, how we can empower women who are from minority group, we are not able. So we always depend on the majority context. But I think that what we need more is to empower and strengthen other Romani women, to, to be for them, to empower them, to create common project with them. It's something which helps them believe to, you know, that they can do it as well. Our foundation is run by women, among them Roma women. I am the president, I'm Roma. We have so many Roma who are our staff around 30, between 35, 40% of our staff are Roma women from Poland and from Ukraine. So when we work with the other women, they feel more self-worth, more self-confident. And I think that this is the first step. Another way of combating poverty would be a higher inclusion in the labor market. And if many women are educated, that also their chances to successfully perform and join the market are higher. But how does it look in reality? Are there also stereotypes and cliches here that Romani women have to face? Of course. The imagination about the Roma and the stereotypes are very negative. So if somebody really believes that we are cheaters or criminals, they don't want to have us some members of organizations, institutions. We observe this in a daily life. They have a face-to-face -face interview, and when they are recognized as a Roma, you can immediately feel the atmosphere and a, and a very quick communicate that this is uh, the, the recruitation is finished, and they employ somebody else, you know, in a very elegant way. Um, but you can feel it. But it's something which is connected to my daily experiences. Uh, regarding, you know, work and support of Romani women by our foundation. Experiences from the past have a huge impact on our life, on our self-confidence and, uh, and the self-worth even. So sometimes, even myself, sometimes something blocks myself. I cannot go farther. So it's like a, you have to have awareness and you have to work all the time with yourself and repeat yourself all the time that you can do it. And you deserve it. And this space, these places, these companies, this academia, everything is also for us. You put it really well. And I have to admit that I know you actually from media and from events and do absolutely fantastic job in promoting this positive image, breaking, breaking cliches. So... Congratulations, congratulations on that. But I also, from what you say, I see that Romani women and men as well are left alone with the situation. So it's actually up to them if they can convince the 
employers that they get employed because we have to also change the perception of the employers but are there any programs actually which are targeting employers to raise awareness to change perceptions um i remember that in 2004, when Poland became a part of European Union, we started to have so many opportunities to use the EU funds to build a better Poland also in the context of marginalization of the job market. And many institutions, organizations conducted the, the projects regarding the situation of Roma minority in the job markets. Um, and I remember that many Roma completed their uh, education, you know, their professional skills in many areas, which were very needed uh, in, in Poland. And when the projects stopped to be financed by European Union institutions, they stopped, they, they, I mean, the, the institutions stopped to act, stopped to support uh, Roma community. Um, but it's also one more, um, I think, more even serious problem that they, even if they have a good documents, you know, education and so on, they couldn't find a job because of the stereotypes. We have to act parallel in many levels. First, we have to improve the position of Roma in the context of education, their skills, uh, including soft skills. Uh, the second uh, thing is to work with the uh, majority, with the people who who can employ them uh, to reduce stereotypes and prejudice and discrimination against Roma. We have had a very long conversation about art recommendations with both of my guests. So let me just summarize it briefly. Ladislava Gubalova recommends watching a Bulgarian movie, Petya of my Petya. As she puts it, it is about two girls, two worlds. The first one is Petya Dubarova, a very talented young poet who committed suicide. The other one is also Petya, she's a girl of today. Both fight for a better world. So it is about young women and the worlds they are confronted with. It is a good movie that will connect with young women says Vladislava. And Joanna Talevich recommends art by Małgorzata Mirgatas, an internationally acclaimed Polish Roma artist who represented Poland at Biennale in Venice and who talks about stereotypes and women in the Roma community. She has amplified Roma voice and drew attention to the Roma community. Another amazing artist is Krzysztof Gil, who through his art speaks about Roma, gender, class, and post-colonial approach towards minorities. And Diana Talevich also recommends some movies. The first one is Tycon, about an activist who is compared to Martin Luther King of Roma. And there's also a Netflix series, Infamy, that she herself consulted. And that's all for today. Thank you for listening to this episode, which shed more light on certain aspects of the gender equality in CE, especially concerning women in media, startups, but also women in the Romani community. To me, it demonstrated how crucial role models and awareness of own biases are in changing the existing situation. I hope that you have also found some inspiration for yourself 
uh, you will find for sure links to the databases, reports, and recommendations in the description of this episode. I'm grateful to both my guests, Vladislava Gubalova from Globsec and Joanna Talevich from the Towards uh, Dialogue Foundation for finding time to share their expertise and insights with us. My special thanks goes also to Gloria Besserill, who does a fantastic job in producing this season of CE Podcast. My name is Malvina Talik, I'm a research associate at the IDM, and I was your host today. Thank you very much and hear you soon. This was CEE, Central Europe Explained, a podcast series produced by the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. If you enjoyed listening to us, make sure to subscribe to the IDM podcast series on your favorite podcast platform. Additionally, you can explore our other work on our website www.idm.at. If you have any feedback or if you're interested in collaborating on a podcast episode, please do not hesitate to contact us through our social media channels at IDM Vienna or write us an email to idm at idm.at. IDM Podcast. Institut für den Donauraum und Mitteleuropa. Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. European Perspectives. Regional Actions. Cooperation and Expertise since 1953.